Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 719 for release on Sunday, December 4th, 2022. On WaveScan today, the Japan Shortwave Club celebrates 70 years. We'll have the second part of a historical broadcast about radio in Sri Lanka and our Japan DX report from Yukiko Tsuji. Well, this year marks the 70th anniversary of a very important shortwave listening club, the Japan Shortwave Club, which prepares a DX News report each month here on WaveScan. To mark the anniversary, our friend Toshi Otaki, Secretary General of the club, wrote the following history of the JSWC, which was translated for us by Yukiko Tsuji and is voiced by Ray Robinson in the studios of KVOH Shortwave in Los Angeles, California. Ray? Thanks, Jeff. Toshi writes, during World War II in Japan, reception of shortwave broadcasting was prohibited, which could have provided us first-hand overseas information. However, after the war, the ban was lifted, and war surplus radio parts from US military forces and Japanese military troops became available. Young people eagerly got involved in putting together radios, which was a trendy hobby for them. Radio magazines spurred their interests in catching overseas shortwave broadcasting on their handmade radios. In the meantime, a group of students in Sendai City in the northeastern part of Japan wanted to form a shortwave club like other overseas radio clubs. Our club, the Japan Shortwave Club, or JSWC for short, was established in 1952, and the first bulletin was published in the July of that year. Aiming to be an internationally recognised club, JSWC printed bulletins in English so that many listeners in the world could join us. The highly motivated founders of our club promoted it overseas and some overseas broadcasters offered to air special programmes for our club. In just one year we had more than 100 members from 10 different countries and the number kept on growing. When our club was established, TV broadcasting had not yet started in Japan, so radio was the one and only wireless medium. There were no satellite relays, and all events in foreign countries were heard via shortwave. The signing of the San Francisco Peace Treaty in September 1951 and the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II in June 1953 were both relayed from shortwave by NHK, Japan's public broadcaster, with only occasional fading. The bulletins of those days were mimeographed, which were totally made by hand, printing one page after another, and drying each page after printing. Also, every month, all addresses on the envelopes were handwritten, laborious work for the editorial staff. During the early years of our club, one notable activity we took part in was an anti-jamming campaign. 
When the Cold War intensified, Eastern communist countries increasingly jammed radio broadcasts from Western countries, and reception of shortwave services became much more difficult due to this jamming. So we decided to join with other overseas radio clubs and started a movement to send protest letters. Unfortunately, the political power was overwhelming, and we were not able to attain our goal. Jamming did not stop until the end of the Cold War. It's very regrettable, even now, that some countries still transmit jamming signals against radio programmes containing information that's inconvenient to them. 25 years later, in the 1970s, the so-called BCL boom, the boom to become a broadcasting listener, started in Japan, and BCL was considered to be a fashionable social phenomenon, which is very rare in other countries. Japanese electronics manufacturers competed to sell shortwave radios. At one time, it's said that the annual production of shortwave radios surpassed 1 million units in Japan. Thanks to this easy availability of shortwave radios, the trend for shortwave listeners shifted from constructing radios at home to purchasing radios in stores. Shortwave magazines appeared at bookstores nationwide, and at the peak of this boom they sold more than 200,000 copies every month. Another of our club's impressive global activities was the Radio St Helena Revival. Radio St Helena had been broadcasting once a year from 1990 until 1999, nine times in total, by using an old transmitter owned by cable and wireless. It was one of the most popular programmes, but the signals from the isolated island in the Atlantic Ocean were very weak, and reception was usually difficult. They terminated the broadcasting because the transmitter became too old to use. Several years later, in March 2006, Mr Robert Kipp in Germany suggested a campaign to reactivate Radio St Helena with outside help. JSWC instantly agreed to his proposal. We asked our club members for donations, and the collected amount totaled more than 1,400 euros. One member even donated his ICOM transceiver for this project. The total amount of donations from JSWC members was larger than the total donations from all other radio clubs combined, and we were the driving force of the project. With that support, Radio St Helena put up a 17-metre-high revolving Yagi antenna on the premises of the radio station on St Helena Island and sent out signals from a 1-kilowatt transmitter. The very first revival broadcast of Radio St Helena was aired on November 5, 2006, and this once-a-year transmission continued until 2009. Thanks to its beam antenna, reception in Japan was much better than it used to be. Because of the good reception, especially on the fourth revival service in 2009, more than half of the reception reports sent to the station came from Japanese listeners, which was the record high at the station. This showed that due to the BCL boom in Japan, we had a very large number of shortwave listeners. However, in the fall of 2010, St Helena Island was hit by a big hurricane just before the fifth revival service, and the antenna tower was severely damaged, so this much-awaited service was regrettably cancelled. With these memorable activities, we are very grateful to be able to celebrate our 70th anniversary this year. Of course, there were some hard times in our history of 70 years. 
Nevertheless, our club's managing staff has made tireless efforts to sustain and promote the joy of shortwave listening, and all our club members have eagerly supported the club's continuation for 70 years. Times have changed, and most overseas events are satellite relayed on TV rather than transmitted on shortwave. The internet came into the picture, and broadcasts can be sent by wire. The time has come when we are now able to access any overseas information instantly on tiny mobile devices. In this digital era, we are worrying about the future of shortwave services, but at the same time we surely think that shortwave transmissions will never be ended and they will continue to be a convenient medium that anybody can listen to easily and freely. Especially when international conflicts occur, distribution of information by wire can be cut off easily, but shortwave transmissions will not be blocked and radio waves will be transmitted across national borders without any obstacles. In some cases, radio waves will send out information which could eventually save people's lives around the world. Meanwhile, radio programmes to keep friendly communication with listeners will still gain popularity and will continue to be broadcast. The Japan Shortwave Club, JSWC, would like to keep on playing an important role as a club of the listeners, by the listeners and for the listeners. The Japan Shortwave Club will issue special 70th anniversary QSL cards for correct reception reports on our segments of this programme. Our address for your email reports is jswc70qsl at gmail.com. That's JSWC, the number 70, QSL at gmail.com. Your reception reports can also be sent by postal mail. Our address is JSWC, PO Box 44, Kamakura, that's K-A-M-A-K-U-R-A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. Again, that's JSWC, PO Box 44, Kamakura, 248-8691, Japan. And one IRC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles for reading that report about the 70th anniversary of the Japan Shortwave Club prepared by Toshi Otaki and translated by Yukiko Tsuji. Well, last week here on Wavescan, we aired the first part of a special program about radio in Sri Lanka, which was produced and presented by Jonathan Marks for his media network program on Radio Netherlands in the year 1985. Today, in the second part of that historical broadcast, Jonathan continues speaking with the former chairman of the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation. Over the last few years, several American entrepreneurs have revived the idea of commercial shortwave broadcasting, though with stories reaching us that the pop music station KYOI, beaming at Japan from Saipan, is now up for sale. Perhaps the market's been overestimated. Well, not in this part of Asia. The SLBC All Asia service is considered one of the most successful commercial operations of all time, again with an interesting history. Uh, the uh, BBC had a station here called Radio, which was formerly Radio Sec. It was broadcasting to the forces in this part of the world during the war. The BBC took it over after the war was over, and they operated from a studio here. And when the BBC decided to pack up and go to Singapore, they wanted us to buy the equipment 
including the 100 kilowatt transmitters which they had installed here. We had a very uh, interesting personality by the name of Sir Oliver Gunatilika, who was a High Commissioner in London. And Sir John Kozalavala was the Prime Minister at the time. They went on a delegation to meet the British War Office. And when the War Office started saying that, uh, you know, the cost of the equipment was so much and they started raining out figures, very impressive figures, so Oliver interrupted and said, uh, how does this concern us? I don't think we are interested in this. You can take your equipment and go. Knowing jolly well that taking the equipment and going was going to be much more costly than giving it to us free. So the British government adjourned the meeting, went into the Prime Minister's residence next door at number 10 Downing Street, came back and said, uh, well, we have decided to gift this entire equipment to the government of Ceylon. So that's how we got the very powerful transmitters. Then almost at the same time, there was a, a gentleman from America called Mr. Spence, who was involved with a very big advertising firm in America. He was staying at the Golfers Hotel. And he was asked by our permanent secretary at that time to give a report on how we could use this, this new gift. He recommended that we should start commercial broadcasting. So we started commercial broadcasting. We started commercial broadcasting domestically also. And we had an overseas service to all Asia, to Southeast Asia and to East Africa. Those are the first overseas services that we had. And we earned a lot of money on that. And we still are earning money on that. You've recently started a service to the Middle East, I understand. Is that also successful? Yes, it's not as successful as financially as... Uh, the other two services, the, the All-Asia service in particular. But uh, we are hoping that that too will pick up because we, are, we haven't had any representation there. We have a representative in Bombay. We have a representative in London. We have a representative in New York. But they give us business for the All-Asia service. But Middle East service, we are now making arrangements to have representation in the Middle East so that they can work up some sort of business for us here. But I'm very happy about this particular service because we were thinking in terms of broadcasting uh, to Australia and New Zealand. And I find that automatically this Middle East service gives a backlash to Australia and is heard very clearly at a very convenient time early morning so that our overseas services have been strengthened without our knowledge. The SLBC isn't the only shortwave broadcaster on the island, though. For many years, the Voice of America has used two 35-kilowatt transmitters and also one 10-kilowatt at the Ekola shortwave transmitter site for a relay of English programmes to Southern Asia. That's our look at the evening sports here on VOA. I'm Nancy Wagner. Walter Hill has rejoined us with a news update from the Voice of America. A powerful car bomb has exploded in... Christians. As you can hear, the programs are just picked up off the air, usually tuning into the VOA transmitters in the Philippines. And that's done at the SLBC receiving station, not far from the airport. Just recently, the Voice of America concluded a new agreement with the government here to build a brand new shortwave transmitter site. 1,000 acres have been purchased right by the sea, on the west coast, about three and a half hours' drive north of Colombo. The site is at Irana Vila, next to Chilao, if you're looking at the map, and it's just a fence-off piece of ground at the moment. 
but by 1990 it should be the home of four 500 kilowatt and two 250 kilowatt shortwave transmitters for the VOA, plus a further 250 kilowatt shortwave transmitter for the exclusive use of the Sri Lanka Broadcasting Corporation. The new site has caused some discussion in the Sri Lankan Parliament, as some people near the beach area will have to be resettled. The construction cost is estimated at 100 million US dollars, 200 million if the VOA decide to build a diesel power generating plant to supply the station with its power, instead of taking the electricity from the national grid. But will this VOA station also mean the expansion of SLBC's external service? Yes, um, now the Voice of America will be giving us a 250 kilowatt transmitter for our exclusive use, which will be a godsend to us where our overseas services are concerned. And uh, I think we even now have the opportunity of using um, the facilities at TWR, which is Transfer Radio at Putlam. But they have got two 200 kilowatt transmitters linked in parallel which is rather expensive to run. So it's a medium-wave transmitter. So we have not used that at all because of the cost. But uh, what is the plan? Will you expand the, the number of targets that you uh, reach with these new facilities? And you also mentioned Deutsche Welle as well. Yes, we will try to get to Europe. As you know, a lot of our Sri Lankans are, are now resident overseas. They, in particular, are very anxious to get home news and keep in touch with uh, what's happening here. And the only way in which they do this is through the press and through uh, misreports that go out from various sources. I think it is our duty to try to provide uh, some sort of service, news service at least, to uh, the people who are resident abroad. If we had such a service going, I don't think we would have had this unfortunate business of misinformation taking the upper hand in countries outside Sri Lanka. And what facilities will you get from Deutsche Welle? You mentioned that Voice of America has given you a 250 kilowatt transmitter. Well, we, should, we have the facility of using, of sharing their facilities. But what are they? The new relay site of the Voice of Germany is said to be in Trincomalee, over on the northeast side of the island. Well, we took a six and a half hour bumpy taxi ride up there but there wasn't any sign of the big antennas when we got to Trinco. But then we spotted a Deutsche Welle sign indicating north. The road, though, had been severely damaged by last year's monsoons, so it took us nearly two hours to go just 15 miles. At a place called Perka, the steel towers came into view. Although everything from the transmitters to the toothpaste has been imported via Colombo port and along the bumpy road, an engineering feat in itself really, the site is not completely new. For during the Second World War, the British used this ideal spot for a submarine communication centre, for its propagationally ideally suited being between two lagoons. But I asked the Deutsche Welle project manager, Rainer Geismann, what sort of condition they found the abandoned station in three years ago. Uh, when we came here, it was a ruin, you can say. Uh, we had to convert it completely. Uh, we had to put a new, new roof. Uh, the building housed about uh, 10,000 beds, cockroaches and it was really in a very, very deplorable state. We had also, by converting this, 
we have installed five transmitters. Uh, one is a 600 kilowatt medium wave transmitter, which will be used by us on 400 kilowatt. Uh, then we have one 250 kilowatt short wave transmitter and two 300 kilowatt PDM short wave transmitters. And the fifth transmitter is a telecommunication transmitter of 10 kilowatt nominal power from Raykal, which is for the direct telex connection with our head office in Kulan. And that was the second part of a special edition of Media Network, hosted by Jonathan Marks on Radio Netherlands about radio in Sri Lanka. It was originally broadcast in 1985 on the Dutch International Service, which unfortunately no longer exists. You can find more archives of Media Network programs on the Internet. Just do a search for Media Network Vintage Vault. And now back to Japan. Here's Yukiko Tsuji with her DX report for this month. Hello and welcome to the DX report of the month from Japan Show Web Club, aided by Toshi Otake, and I'm Yukiko Tsuji. We have several DX reports from our club members this week. Radio New Zealand Pacific was heard on 7390 kHz on November 11th from 1530 to 1630 UTC in English. SIO rating was 453. Talk program and Pacific songs were aired. Time signal was given at 1600, then Pacific news started. Vatican Radio via Tinan, Philippines was heard on 11935 kHz on November 10th from 15.15 to the sign-off at 15.30 UTC in Malayalam. SIO rating was 4.53. Talk program and hymn were broadcast. It signed off with interval signal. BBC World Service via Philippines was heard on 17800 kHz on November 7th from the sign-on at 0100 to the sign-off at 0030 UTC in English. SIO rating was 454. World News was aired, followed by From Our Own Correspondent at 0006. All India Radio from Bengaluru was received on 15030 kHz on November 3rd from the sign-on at 1213 to 12.50 UTC in Swahili. SIO rating was 3.53. It signed on with talk program in Hindi, followed by interval signal at 12.15. Then news began at 12.18, and local songs were played at 12.45. Mashal radio via Kuwait was heard on 12110 kHz on November 12th from 11.45 to the sign-off at 12.58 UTC in Pashto. SIO rating was 2.42, then up to 3.43. Talk program and local music were broadcast. ID was given at 12.53. Ibra Media via Dabaya, UAE, was heard on 9580 kHz on November 2nd from 15.15 to the sign-off at 15.45 UTC in Pashto. SIO rating was 3.53. Talk program and hymn were aired. 
ID was given at 1532. Radio Romania International was received on 21470 kHz on October 30th from 0628 with interval signal to the sign off at 0656 UTC in English. SIO rating was 252. News, commentary, and the interview were on the air. Radio France International was heard on 21580 kHz on October 30th from 0907 to 0920 UTC in French. SIO rating was 252. News was broadcast followed by discussion at 0910. Radio Austria International was heard on 13730 kHz on November 11th. From 1100 to 1130 UTC in German. SIO rating was 252. Interview and talk program were broadcast. Radio New Zealand Pacific moved from 13730 kHz to 13755 kHz on this day, so it was possible to receive this program. Radio Vos Missionaria from Cambriu, Brazil, Was heard on 9664.6 kHz on October 30th from 0657 to 0715 UTC in Portuguese. SIO rating was 343. Local song and talk program were aired. Jingle and ID were given at 0701. Finally, Japan Shortwave Club will issue the QSO cards for the correct reports on that segment of WaveScan program. We are issuing QSL card by email to the report sent by email. Our address for your email report is jswcqsl at live.jp. I repeat, jswcqsl at live.jp. We continue to issue the printed QSL card by the same system as before. Your report should be addressed to JSWC PO Box 44. Kamakura, which is K A M A K U R A, postal code 248-8691, Japan. One ILC or two US dollars for return postage will be appreciated. For this edition of DX Report, we would like to thank Mr. Yoshiaki Hayashi, Mr. Iwao Nagatani, and Mr. Chiaki Shimada for sharing the information with us. Thank you for listening and please join us for our next edition of DX Report of Japan Showtape Club. I'm Yukiko Tsuji in Tokyo. Thank you, Yukiko. Today's edition of WaveScan with Sakura, which are cherry blossoms in Japan, performed by Kasumi Watanabe, played on the,、uh, on the koto, typical Japanese instrument. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the story of the wireless operator. Who sent the first Morse code transmission across the Atlantic Ocean? 
and our Philippine DX report as well. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station that you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.